Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 185 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 5th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a ton of your questions regarding USC's 19-17 victory over the University of Minnesota at the Coliseum on Saturday, the opener for both teams. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com or give us a call, 206 206- 888-6755. You can leave us a voicemail. We'll play your question on the air and then answer it. We've got a few of those today. We'll answer with uh, Dan Weber coming up in the, the next segment. Uh, he's the USCfootball.com beat writer. He was up there in the press box, and we'll get all his thoughts later on. But first up, we have Coach Harvey Hyde, who was also up there in the press box watching that game with, that Lane Kiffin called a debacle on offense, even though Robert Wood set a, a record for receptions almost in the Pac-10, but for, for USC all time. But yeah, Lane Kiffin still called it a debacle, which was kind of interesting. Uh, no points in the second half. We want to get Coach's thoughts and have him answer all of your questions. Coach, what's going on? How you doing? Ryan, buddy, uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Before we get started, I just want to say two things, and then we'll mention our sponsor. But I do want to congratulate Mark Barkley on what I thought was one of his strongest games as far as the way he threw the football, 45 times, completed 40 34 for three, 304 yards and three touchdowns to Robert Woods. Uh, I was very impressed with the way he did throw the football around and try to get people lined up and so on and, and do a good job. So congratulations to Matt Barkley. I also want to congratulate Robert Woods. When you catch 17 catches, uh, that's a hell of a lot of balls to catch. He must have blisters on his hands, and he's got to be in the training room with them in ice bags, but 177 yards, three touchdowns, and just a tremendous job. And another thing, too, in returning kickoffs, he did a tremendous job there, too. So I do want to say that to these two young athletes who did have a tremendous job or did a tremendous job, as well as others, others, every single player that I watched play on that football team played hard. And I think that's what they what it counts what counts in it, but these two uh, particularly had a great game and broke records and this and that. And I want to say that now we can move on. All right. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, SETickets.com is the website, or call them 1 800 888 7287 if you need tickets for anything. Uh, two more home games coming up for USC, so check that out, or for any kind of other events around the city or around anywhere concerts, theater, uh, baseball games, anything like that, go to SETickets.com. And uh, they'll help you out. And, uh, Coach, we got a bunch of questions, so I think we should probably jump right in there. We'll start off with an international one. We have Robert in Honduras. Uh, he got to watch the game on Honduras, which was great. But if USC keeps playing like this, they'll probably feature other games on ABC. He wants to know, why is Minnesota freshman quarterback attempting more vertical passes than USC's all-world future top five pick, junior superstar QB? And USC recruited the... Signed the best wide receiver from a year ago, two of the best from the last couple of years, best tight end, you know, a couple of best quarterbacks and starting offensive linemen and running backs and all that. But USC's passing game doesn't really reflect that. It's unacceptable. He wants us to talk about it, and thanks for the podcast. 
Well, uh, I don't, I don't know. Someone have to ask Lane Kiffin that question. Um, how uh, one kid can throw that or catch that many balls, and you and you continue running things. Now, I'm somebody that likes to continue running some things until they stop it. But I think you've got to continue spreading the field and using utilizing the rest of your great receivers, including your tight ends and backs. Uh, I did not see any back at any time. If you're not going to run them, then include them in your run, passing game somehow and stretch the field. And if you're going to be a passing offense, then make it a passing offense by having crossing routes and corner routes and uh, deep post routes and post corner routes and so on that – uh, very similar to the first touchdown route that Robert Woods ran. He ran a fake slant and broke to a corner, and the guy, he was all twisted around. Both He's got to have his knees in ice on what Robert Wood did to him, and that Robert Wood just did to him. And I think that's what you have to do if you're going to pass the football. You've got to run draws, screens, quick screens. You've got to have three-step drops, five-step drops, seven-step drops, and have all different actions off of those type of actions if you're going to throw the football that much because – I can't understand why they didn't try to establish a, a running game with a young offensive line against probably one of the worst defenses uh, as far as rush defense a year ago in Minnesota, be, having been ranked 98th in the country. I mean, they didn't really establish or want to establish a running game. But, again, you can't just pick and go and here and there. Yet on fourth down, they ran this toss play and it didn't make it. So when it was a crucial yard, you go, you went to the running game, and it wasn't there for you. And I don't know if it's lack of confidence or whatever. You ran two plays, same play, one to the right, and then came back with the left with the same play, and, and it didn't work. So I think you've uh, – it was a darn good question. I don't know. I think I've talked about this for a couple of years now. At least this is my second year of talking about it in this offense. You have great receivers. You should utilize these great receivers. I would think that uh, it would be tough to uh, – to, to justify to your other players, what am I doing out here? And uh, But, uh, again, uh, I think you've got to stretch the field. When they shut that off, and they made the adjustments on how to stop Woods. Uh, you know, Woods was making yards after the catch just because of his great athletic ability. I mean, there were great, great plays. But remember, when you throw short routes, you throw the ball 30 yards, 40 yards across the field, depending on how far you're throwing it. And it gives players a lot of time to react to the play. So he's catching the ball, and uh, players are on him, and, and he's still making yards. That's because of the type of athlete he is. When you throw the ball down the field, I mean, now you're isolating him where he has a lot more space to utilize his great athletic ability, and the sideline isn't there to hamper him. So, yes, I agree with that 100%, and I think that you have to utilize the rest of your receivers more Otherwise, you're not going to have what you call and what it looked like this year a, a passing team. When you rush the ball, what, 27 times or whatever they did for 67 yards, man, I'm telling what are you going to do when you play Arizona State or Oregon or guys that are going to penetrate and try to beat you up? You're not going to run the ball because you haven't practiced running the ball or you haven't shown confidence in running the football. So you've got to do that uh, to keep it going. And, and uh uh, that's all I could say on that. I, that question really should be asked to Coach Kiffin. Okay. Uh, well, here's a we got a voicemail question. Uh, this is a pretty interesting one, Coach. Yeah, hi, Ryan. First of all, I want to say you're doing a great job. Um, I have this to say. Um, Lane Kiffin's dad, Monty, has a philosophy of uh, if you if you see little, you see a lot. 
if you see a lot, you see nothing. And I think that's really pertinent as far as laying on his offensive calling. I think he's making it too complicated with packages for, you know, all the individuals. So I think he just needs to drop 8 to 11 plays, including more than two players. And with the attitude of making it happen and not with the uh, – not with the um, not with the attitude of what the defense gives us. Just wanted to get your opinion on that and coach's opinion on that. Well, you know, uh, Monty Kiffin has been a very successful coach for many years in the NFL. Coaching in the NFL is a business, and so on. Coaching in the college on the college level is is what you call motivation, lining them up, get great players, and I think that's one thing that this staff can do. They certainly have demonstrated they can recruit. Even with the sanctions and everything that the NCAA has done, the staff can go out and recruit. But you got to let these kids play. And uh, I think one thing that hurts Monty Kiffin's defense, and I'm just telling you this, and I don't know. I want, really wanted to ask him this question. I hope he's on the Trojan Brunch show next week because I am going to ask him this question. Does he get enough time in practice during spring ball and during fall camp of facing this type of offense. Because every day they go against a pro offense, one that you don't really see anymore. You really don't see the USC offense, uh, anybody running it, really the way that USC runs it. So they get used to playing against this type of slow-hitting plays. There's no quick-hitting plays at all in the USC offense as far as the running game is concerned. And there isn't much play-action pass off of quick-hitting running plays in USC's offense where they have a chance to react and learn to make these reads or options. So they work against this offense. They scrimmage ones against ones during the fall and in the spring and so on. So I don't know if they get enough time to really prepare and know exactly what is happening when they face this. Myself, I said it yesterday, and I really feel this way, if I was coaching now in Division One college football and we weren't running that in, on our offense, I would hire a coach or a GA or a quarterback that played at one of these uh, Oregon or one of these schools that would be on our staff, that would run the scout team, call the plays the same way they call the plays, the same numbering systems, the same reads, he knows them all, he would get his 11 players from day one, 11 red shirts, and he would work on that every single day. And he would run that as good as any team since we have pretty good players, or USC has plenty of good players that are being redshirted, as well as a lot of the teams you're going to play. And every single day <clears throat> we would, if I was coaching, work on that part of the phase of the offense to make sure we see it and then coach off of that all the time. Because everybody's running it now. Almost everybody's running it now. Stanford's not running it. Stanford's running a power game with great play-action pass and, and a lot of belief in what they're doing with a very mobile quarterback. And uh, so, you know, you've got to look around and see what, what you have to beat and work against that. So, you know, uh, I, I think I, I, I can't blame it or point fingers. I don't want to point fingers. And I think it's very negative to point fingers. I think when things don't work well, it's a part of a package of everybody's fault. It's part of not presenting a, a realistic game plan to stop it. It's also players that break down in their assignments. 
Uh, I'm disappointed, too, that we can't or USC can't put a rush on a quarterback without really blitzing. The front four, I feel, should be able to get there if they're that good and that dominant. Uh, they stunted a lot and got to Gray, and uh, but they also broke down and lost their contain, and Gray ran, and, and the freshman kid, who I could race, race uh, ran for a key first down a couple times straight up the middle. You can't lose contain on a guy when you know he's going to be there. So those are the things that trouble me the most. All right, Coach. Uh, thanks for that question. And let's see. We got... Gene here, and he wants to get your thoughts on this. There's some similar points, but he needs to uh, to let off some steam, apparently. He's like, after all the hype about how good this team was going to be, Saturday's game was a huge disappointment. Whoever is calling the play should be fired. That would be Coach Lane Kiffin. Gene, just for your information, how many times are we going to throw a sideline pass to Woods or anyone else for a three-yard gain? The play has hardly worked for the last three years. Why not go over the middle, use all the great wide receivers instead of concentrating on Woods, who will be double-teamed? Uh, obviously, our offense offensive line is weak. We'll not be a good running team again. Isn't the time to go to the spread or the shotgun? So Gene's a little upset, Coach. Yeah, he's upset, and I think he's very disappointed. And I think basically as a fan or someone that watched the game, uh, I was pretty hyped up before the game if you listen to the pregame show. I really thought it was an opportunity for the Trojan football team to open up a season with a big win. I mean a win that everyone would walk out of the Coliseum and the players would walk out of the Coliseum and the coaches would walk out of the Coliseum with a great feeling. I predicted the score to be 45-6. to six. Well, at halftime, if they had just doubled what they did in the first half, it had been 38-6, to six, which had been only one touchdown away from what I predicted. But they weren't able to hit that killer instinct and they weren't able to make the necessary adjustments. They weren't able to do what you should be able to do against probably, and I'm not trying to criticize the Golden Gophers football program, but maybe the worst team you're going to play the entire year. Maybe. I don't want to say that because they could go on and win all their games, but here's a new staff with new players, new quarterbacks that haven't played quarterback. All of this going against a team with probably – one of the best rosters in college football. So uh, uh, to me, that's very disheartening, very disappointing. And I don't think it's just one side of the ball. I think everybody's got to look at themselves, including the coaching staff, and say, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? Because this is not working. I think one thing that they have to correct, and I know John uh, John Becker, is that, but what's the name of the kick, special teams coach? Oh, John Baxter. Baxter, John Baxter, just went blank for a minute. I, I don't know if this two-point thing is going to work. I know I've been around coaching a long time, and we ran the same thing, the swinging gate. And I'll tell you, I never gave them, okay, go ahead and do it on the first play of the game or whatever it is. I wanted to see myself how they lined up and, and uh, we're going to defend it. To give the coach or give the player the option to do that, they had just scored. The momentum was there at 6 nothing. Everybody excited. You line up and you go for two and you don't make it. Even if you went for two and made it, I'd say, why'd you do that? I would have said that. Now, that's me. And I don't care what the statistics show. And, you know, then they had to come back and do a two-point play the next time. And 
and, and they're down. They almost lose the football game because of that. Was all Minnesota had to do is kick a field goal and win the game, and and that, that was that was horrible. And then and then the crowd even is into that. You know, they kick an extra point, and the whole crowd claps and and, and gets excited about. It. I mean, I I don't I, I think those are the little things that I think he does a great job in the kicking game. And without Kyle Negretti, he's my most valuable player as far as defensively. Without his punting. And putting the ball on the two-yard line and putting the ball on the eight-yard line, especially the last punt, uh, my gosh, uh, what could have happened in that game? So, you know, uh, uh, play calling, I've said this, so I'm, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it behind anybody's back. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As a head football coach, you have too much to do and too many responsibilities and too much television, radio, press conferences, recruiting, all of that to be an offensive coordinator. I gave it up when I became a head coach. You have to be a part of, I feel, this is my opinion, just my opinion. You have to be a part of supporting all the parts of the football team. The offense, the defense, different positions. You have to have a relationship with the players and the coaches and so on. You've got to talk to people all the time during the game. And I think being a coordinator, it occupies you too much. You don't really have that opportunity. So I have always said that I think it's too much to be a head coach and offensive coordinator. To prepare for a game takes hours, hours to do that type type of stuff. And and, uh, I think it's very difficult to do both. Now, as far as play calling, uh, sometimes I wonder, too, what's going on. Uh, I do. I really do. And I can't uh, like the first play of the game, the very first play of the game. I said, oh, no, not this again. Uh, <laughs> and I shouldn't say that. But, but I did. It, but then it happened like 15 more times. <laughs> I mean, no, really. Not that again. Then It's either that or the bootleg. I mean, I can tell you what the first two plays are going to be the game. Either that or the bootleg. It's first. I mean, you know, establish something. Uh, keep them off balance. Utilize your great athletes. Run a draw in there. Run a screen in there. Uh, drags. I mean, don't get me wrong. Xavier Grimble dropped that corner route because he couldn't believe how open he was. Because he dropped that corner route, why not come back with it? The kid, you got to have confidence in the kid catching that ball. Uh, things like that is what confuses me a little bit. And obviously, this is just my opinion. And I don't want to tick off anybody, but I'm just telling you when I'm asked a question what my opinion is after watching the game. Okay. Um, all right. Well, next one up is David from North Hills. And literally, Coach, he wrote an entire page. <laughs> we can't get to the whole thing, David. I'm sorry about that. We just thought it would take up the whole show. So he does apologize for his background rant. But his question for you is, don't you think that Lane Kiffin tends to be a conservative coach in particular in the second half of games, making them tighter and dangerous. And do you think this style of coaching, same as last year, is a type of coaching that can once again take USC to being consistently or even near the top of the Pac-12 year in and year out? He doesn't think so. It's an offensive game and have to use his horses. Robert Woods averaging 11 yards per catch doesn't scare the the Pac-12 coaches who are going to make those three-yard catchers, three, four, five-yard catches, not – 10 or 15 yard catches and thank you please don't ban me from getting further questions on i will be much much more precise 
next time out. Uh, but that's uh, David in North Hills. It really was a long, I mean, it was a whole page of, of his observations. It was pretty good stuff, Coach. Well, good. Maybe he ought to be doing the show. I, I, I really like that. Thank you very much for uh, sending this question in. Um, basically, the, the what was the, the I was listening to the whole quote. What was the, the what does he want to know exactly? I mean, do you think that you can coach like that, like the the play calling that we've seen, and still and make it work and be successful and be at the top of the Pac-12? No. I don't think you you can get away with that right now. Uh, they would hope that that's all the the only route you would run. They they really would. You can't you can't do that. You've got to be able to have keep a defense off balance. Personally, I think his question wants to know: Do I think he's going? He's he's too conservative. Personally, I feel this sometimes when I watch the game offensively. It's like they're not. They're trying not to lose rather than to really win and blow somebody out. Really get on them, get after them when they're down, cut off their head, smash them, get the momentum going. Sometimes I, not that they're not trying, the players aren't trying. Believe me, they are. But I'm saying you have to not do as much but do it well, and you have to establish a series. I don't see any series. I mean, how many times have you heard me say this? Pick a series and off the toss, have a belly, have a reverse, have a play-action pass off the toss, the toss with the guy, the tailback throwing the ball, the toss back to the quarterback, the backside post, the back, the onside uh, block and go. I mean, there's so many different things, but have a series, whether it's the power or the – have two good series that you run that are great and, 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 and get it done. Uh I don't see that. I don't, and a play action pass off them. Establish where one feeds off of the other. Like I said, if you're going to be a drop back passing game, then so be it. Your drop back passing game. But off of the passing game comes some runs, some trap draws, regular draws, screens, a fake draw pass where the linebackers have to come up and stop the draw. Then you run the wide delay. The, the linebacker step forward, the tight end blocks, and then runs and finds the open area behind the linebackers. He's just dumping the ball. He runs straight up the field in a seam, seam routes to the tight end. I mean, these type of things. If you're going, to, I mean, you can do this without just being a passing team, too. But I'm saying have series so that everything is connected together so that there's a rhythm in what you're trying to accomplish offensively. Uh, so that if they stop this and they can't stop this, we'll do this. You can't stop everything if I have better players. Now, if you have better players, you might be able to stop everything. Because you just run me down. But I don't think USC utilizes their team speed where they can really blow you out. And I think that's something that uh, they need to work on. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Coach. Let's see. we got Mark and Laquita. He's kind of critical of of us. Maybe more of me and Dan than, than you, Coach, but we'll see. Um, this question is for both uh, both you guys. Uh, what are you What are you guys watching for uh, two months of summer ball and three weeks of practice? I watch one 60-minute game and see a senior Mike linebacker consistently out of position and missing tackles. I watch 60 minutes of corners coming up to make one-on-one tackle but not even coming close to breaking down and being in a position to make the play. I see an offensive line that leaks like my pasta strainer and running back that cannot make the first person miss. Oh, yeah, we do have one wide receiver that can catch, and we have a third-year QB that 
once a snap goes over his head, he cannot get himself or his team to refocus and get into a rhythm. So he's basically saying that it's, you guys were talking about the team looking like they were improved. You look like they were better. And he's seeing a lot of the same stuff. Uh, what do you think, Coach? Well, you know what? Before the game, I want everyone to know I thought the team was twice as good as it was last year. I really do. I think they they did look good in practice. And I, I understand this gentleman's uh, uh, reaction to it. But that's exactly what I would say. Uh, after, you know, I went to several practices. You guys go to every practice. I thought the team was good. But, you know, you really don't know uh, how a practice carries into a game and the rhythm of the game and the play calling that's going to go on and the different type of offense you're going to see of something that I've been watching in practice when basically it's just ones against ones and twos against twos, the same offense as he runs and the same defense, the defense uh, that Monty Kiffin runs that has to stop the Lane Kiffin offense. So after a while it gets to look pretty good because they go against each other so often that they know each other pretty well. But then all of a sudden when they face something that's a little bit different, it causes a big problem. And the offensive play calling uh, absolutely is, is, is sometimes I wonder why that. Or a short yardage situation, why there isn't really a short yardage offense that you've heard me talk about where you come in with two tights, you put – Uko at fullback or whatever you want to do, uh, Dawson, somebody, and you just say, hey, we're going to run off tackle here, and if you don't like it, that's too bad. Just just get off the field because we're going to make our first down and we're going to score a touchdown on this play. And then you have a couple of play-action passes off of it too. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lack of toughness sometimes that I don't see. I think you've got to be tough to play college football, not that they aren't tough kids. But I think you've got to feel tough and be tough when the going gets tough. And that's what your challenges are. Playing close football games every week, do not satisfy yourself as accomplishing an achievement or going down at the final play and everybody's feeling positive because they won this time. Could have been they lost this time. Well, it shouldn't have even been in that type of situation, personally. I predicted 45-6, and I still feel that's what the score should have been. When you consider the talent that Minnesota had compared to the talent that USC has, compared to the time of being with the players Minnesota's had, Jerry uh, Kill, and the adjustments they made at halftime and what adjustments SC made. You know, you think about them, the defense is somewhat happy because they didn't make any big plays, Minnesota. Well, who do they have that can make a big play? And I'm not being critical about these kids. I love these kids. I love kids. But who's their big play guy? McKnight? The receiver? Gray? Bennett? I mean, they ran that dive for a touchdown, and he ran right through the line. Like they never seen him coming. Because you know why? They haven't seen that in practice. I feel that. Because people don't see a quick-hitting play anymore. Concord De La Salle, the high school up at... Northern California that's won all those games, all they do is run dive and this and that, and people can't even stop them. They come out, go down their stance real quick and run a dive play. Guy runs down the field 100 yards. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's a lot to it. Not that I, I know, but that's how I feel. And then, Coach, I mean, we're going to talk about this with Dan Weber 
in the next segment a little bit. Sometimes, you know, we watch practice. I've watched all those workouts. I've been to every practice. And sometimes what you see on the game at the, in the game is just different. And, uh, you know, we'll talk with Dan about this a little bit more. They didn't run a lot of that swinging gate, two-point conversion stuff. They didn't run a lot of the stuff that we saw. And they, they really talked about, hey, we're going to play more players. Um, it's going to be a big rotation. And we didn't see any of that. So, I mean, we can only tell you what we've seen when they're doing all that in practice. And then when the game comes, something different happens. I mean, I don't know what we can, can really say to that. But it was definitely different what we saw in practice in the offseason to what we saw in the game. Right, and I agree. And I, I'll just make a little comment on this. Uh, because I think someone asked me before, you asked me when the depth chart came out, when they said, or, 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 at so many different positions. But what happens when you do that a lot? Your kids get hyped up that they're going to play in the game. And uh, when you they don't play in the game, because it's that close, you don't name someone like, Monday that this is who my starter is and this is who he is and everybody else isn't going to get as many turns but if you do get a turn and you do get in the game you show me why you should be playing when you go or or and you don't let somebody mentally prepare and the line know who they are and everybody it's all or 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 and this is all I know maybe they know who's starting but I don't know because I'm looking at the depth chart and listening to everybody say that we're not sure who's starting I think it it, it gives a little bit of of a, a confusion because what happens after the game, the people that don't play are upset. And I don't blame them because they were, if it's true, they were misled that there was going to be a rotation and there wasn't. So, you know, I don't believe in rotation. So I just want everybody to know, and you hear me all the time say that I don't believe it. You got your number ones, you got your number twos, you got your number threes, you got your scout team. And that's the way it is until it's your turn, and uh, and you learn that's the way it is. And uh, I think this or stuff, or stuff, or stuff doesn't do anybody any good. And I think a lot of the reasons is or, or, and or, and or, and or. You have all these high-talented recruits, and they all want to play. So they can be all high-talented recruits. They are at Alabama. They are at Ohio State. They are at everywhere else. But you've got to wait for your turn, and that's that's the way it is. All right, Coach. Well, we have one last thing, and this is gonna we're gonna put the Minnesota game behind us and look to the future a little bit. So here's the last question of the the day. Hi, my name is Ken Larson, and I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm a Utah alum for the University of Utah, but I've always been a USC fan. Well, me and my sons are planning on coming down for the game, and I do have a coach a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. Just wanted to have you talk a little bit about the matchup this week with Utah and, you know, Utah being added to the Pac-10. Um, I'll listen to your answer on the podcast. Um, thanks again, and fight on Trojans. Bye. Well, thank you for calling. Why don't you come by the pregame show there at the Peristyle Inn. Say hi to me. I'd love to meet you. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's going to be a huge game for both teams. Um uh, Utah uh, beat Montana State last week, which uh, I don't know. The score didn't indicate to me that they blew them out, uh, but they did win. And let's don't stop thinking that SC lost that football game either. They won that football game, so that's a positive thing. It's not the stats, it's the W, okay? I believe in the W. So I think it's going to be a huge game for Utah. First of all, it's a statement game for Utah. 
that they want to be, they wanted to play in Southern California, they wanted to be in the Southern Division, why they recruit from Southern California. This is a statement game that we can play in the Pac-12. And uh, they're going to come into the Coliseum not intimidated. I want you to know. But the Coliseum has lost an intimidation, and that is something I've talked about on pregame shows, not really on the podcast. That before you used to be scared to come into the Coliseum, and, and when you left, you thanked them for not killing you. And it's not that way. They believe they can win. They've got two coaches on their staff, Norm Chow, and not that Norm Chow's going to come in with that attitude because he's really a great person. He doesn't have a mean streak in his body. But they got an offensive line coach that just soon kill you, Tim Davis. And he didn't really leave USC on great terms as far as the way I understand. And he is a, one of the top offensive line coaches, I think, in the country. Uh, I loved him when he was at SC. I used to love to watch the battles between Orgeron and Davis at practice and watch them almost get ready to square off against each other. It was tremendous, great competitive competition. I think it means a lot to Tim Davis to come into the Coliseum and prove a point. And I think for the Utah team, it means a lot to them to be able to come in and say we deserve to be in the Pac-12 and play the best because SC was picked in most of the preseason publications to win the South. Couldn't go to the championship game, but to win it. SC, now looking at the SC side of it, this is going to be a really turning point in their season. I mean, they've come off what everyone... Most people are saying a poor performance. I don't think you could call it anything else but that. A complete, not uh, coaching or player, but just a very disappointing opening game. Everyone expected more. Utah says this is a team we can beat. Uh, SC looks at them and say we have to win this game. We've got to win this game, and they really do have to win this football game. And uh, Utah can beat USC if that's what you – you're asking me. Yes, they can, especially if SC doesn't improve in some areas. Utah will beat USC because Utah is a, a program that believes in what they do. They win a lot of football games. They've got great athletes. They've got twice the athletes Minnesota had or more. And uh, they've got a talented quarterback, and you're going to have to stop him. And uh, I don't know. Uh, what their thoughts are, or what I have not seen Utah, so I can't tell you what Norm Chow is doing with the offense. But uh, I know that when Norm's in complete control of the offense, then his offense works. He was not in complete control of the offense at UCLA. There was a lot of friction there. He was blamed for it not working at Tennessee because Vince Young was a failure, and they, they didn't want the the franchise would look bad, so they blamed it on Norm Chow. But Norm will come prepared. Tim Davis will bring his offensive line ready to play. Their defensive line will be tough guys. Their defense will be tough guys. I remember them going down, I think it was the Sugar Bowl or the Orange, one of the bowls a couple of years ago and beating Alabama. And I remember Alabama, a lot of their coaches saying they never got hit that hard in the Southeastern Conference the entire year when they blew out Alabama. So I don't know what their talent level is this year. Uh, I know that it'll be a very inspiring game for them, and I just hope it is for USC because uh, they, they can't get down. They can't point fingers. 
they've got to come ready to play, or if they happen to get down, let's say they get down, the Trojans get down 14 nothing or 7 nothing or whatever, you've got to have the confidence that you can come back and win this football game. So it's a very important week for USC as far as regrouping, getting together, uh, getting established again, and getting focused on the second game of the year uh, because uh, Utah's going to come uh, Utah's going to come ready to play. So that's my answer. I agree with you there, Coach. And I uh, appreciate all the questions being sent in. And, Coach, thanks for taking the time to answer them. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, and uh, for all of you out there, uh, have a great week. And uh, we'll see you at the Coliseum. Yeah, and then uh, just let everyone know, if you want to check out the site, I know Coach Harvey hides on uscfootball.com a lot. We want to give you guys a free month. So instead of getting a free week when you do a free trial, if you go in and you sign up on uscfootball.com, put in the uh, code FIGHTON11. So it's FIGHTON, all one word, with the number 11 afterwards in all capital letters. If you put that in, they'll give you a free 30-day trial instead of a 7-day trial. So you can check it out and see all the writing. I mean, Dan Weber's done a ton of stuff, and uh, we'll talk to him in the next segment. And we put up a ton of videos and photos and Everything you could want to know about the game leading up to the game and then after the game and stuff. So check out uscfootball.com and you can get a get a free month there, Coach. It's a pretty good deal for them. It's a heck of a deal. Yeah. It's a heck of a deal, man. Are you, how are you going to stay in business? <laughs> we got you know, you got to tease them into it. I, I think if you get on okay. there, yeah, you'll you watch them. You, you'll, the Peristyle is a great place to interact with fans and stuff, the message boards. Well, I think it's great. Now, let me tell you, I, I, I go in there all the time. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So, I'm going to endorse that. If you are a true football fan and a true Trojan fan, hey, you get a lot of information on recruiting and all the other things by being a part of uh, the website. It's absolutely fantastic. I go to it every day. I want you to know. Every day. Well, thanks, Coach. We appreciate that. And uh, Thanks again for coming on. Everyone else, we're going to be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. And we are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weber. Dan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. We made it through. <clears throat> One weekend gone. It was a rough weekend. It was yep. a long, long yeah. weekend. And uh, <laughs> you did a great job. I just want to commend you for all the content you've put out. I know we put a lot of videos and photos and all that stuff out, but... You seemed like you were writing a story every hour, and we really appreciate all the, the insights there. It was great stuff. Yeah, there's a lot, uh, lot going on. And, again, one of the things <clears throat> that seems to happen a little bit with with this group, uh, and not so much we're talking players, but uh, maybe the Lane Kiffin coaching staff is uh, what we saw in the game wasn't exactly what we've been seeing on the practice field. So, uh, a little bit of a change uh, for us as well as uh, kind of we, we we felt that a little bit last year at uh, at the Hawaii game it was a little bit of 
even with uh, you know some of the coaches, they're looking at you like, what was that? That isn't exactly what we've seen on the practice field. So uh, it was a it was an interesting uh, opener. Uh, you know, like you had a couple of almost a couple of different games in one game, uh, and it didn't exactly look like what they'd uh, been doing all through the fall practice. And, you know, things like, uh, you know, you expected a whole lot of players to play because they had said, we're going to play a lot of players. And he didn't play a lot of players. Just uh, so you, you almost feel like you have to redo some of what you you did because some of what, was kind of supposed to happen, didn't happen. The opposite happened, actually. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. like the two-point conversion, we saw a lot of that last year. And then all through camp, would they practice it like twice? <laughs> and then and then they run it right uh, away. It wasn't a lot. I mean, cause one of the things last year that was interesting was that was a role for Mitch Mustaine, and it really gave Mitch something to do and uh, got him involved and what have you. This year, obviously, with uh, uh, you know, with Matt Barkley doing it, there's not as much time to do it, you know, because he's doing other things as as you can imagine. Uh, so, uh, and it, it it isn't as new as it was last year, so maybe we don't we don't pay as much attention to it. But uh, it certainly didn't seem like we uh, we saw it as much in practice uh, as we actually saw it in the game Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and we and we definitely didn't see those like bubble screens as much. I mean, if you look at the, I put the highlight video up, and everyone, if you want to check it out, it's free on uscfootball.com if you're not a subscriber. So in the highlights, I did something unique this week. I put some highlights, some defensive highlights, some of the good runs and stuff like that, and then I put every single catch by Robert Woods, and there was actually 18 of them, but I think one of them counted as a run, but I put them all in there. Um, I, don't, I missed part of one throw, but I got everything. I got every single catch. You could see them. And so many of them were just Matt Barkley takes a snap and just throws it, like just throws it right to him. Like there was no, nothing developed anything. It just, he turns, throws to, to Woods, and that was it. And uh, early on in the game, it seemed to work for like five or six yards, and then it started getting stopped for nothing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, uh, was, uh, was Lane uh, sandbagging a little bit? You know, is, is Utah going to come in here and, uh, and he's going to run the stuff we've, uh, been seeing at practice. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was interesting. I mean, he obviously decided. I mean, he must have decided something different. If you're talking to Robert Woods on Friday night about you're going to break the record, or why not break it, uh, as Robert said, Lane was obviously not thinking about the 50-50 run pass mix. Uh, no. He wasn't thinking about a lot of things. He was. Uh, that was the game plan about, all along. Get yeah, throwing a lot of those, a lot of the short stuff. Uh, you can't break the record any other way, basically. You can't throw that many times down the field to one guy. Yeah, but a guy that's been yeah. hurt, it was it was interesting because he was going to get tackled a lot. I mean, when you're getting those little bubble screens or whatever, those short passes, he's going to get tackled quite a bit. There's not going to be a lot of running out of bounds. It's going to be he's catching the ball. There might be a defender on him right away, make someone miss right away, and then try to make it into a big play. He got hit quite a bit, so coming off – you know, where he was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was interesting. That's a really good observation. I mean, I think that's a, a pretty much we're, we're kind of limited to two questions and uh, whatever natural follow-ups you get. And that might have been my third question if I would have had one last night with Lane was, uh, what's the, uh, what do you think, how many times can a receiver get hit in the game? 
<laughs> how many catches because the other thing about that that play a lot is you're basically standing straight up looking away from what you know is a, either you know a linebacker or or two you know secondary guys or whatever coming at you i mean you're not exactly protected i mean you you got to make some quick uh, you know quick steps and 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 uh you know sometimes you've got a blocker out there but uh but that you know you're going to get pounded you know you got to certainly got to admire robert uh for a guy i mean the very fact that you know he's got that big swollen uh, uh right elbow where uh, the bursa sack you know busted on him as well uh to go out there and do that he is he's remarkable yeah uh but but he was you're kind of playing the part of the old uh, in the old days the tackling dummy where they would hang it you know on a uh, you know on a metal pole and and and, and just that guy's tackle it i mean that's what you are out there so uh, uh a remarkable job by robert but uh but you do wonder i mean when you think about it you know only one time in the history of of the pac 12 has anybody ever caught more passes than that in the game? And there's a reason why. <laughs> you can't catch them anymore. I mean, just think of that. That's more live tackling. Uh, you know, you basically you got tackled 18 times. Yeah, he was a running back. Uh, minimum plus, you know, the kickoff run backs. Yeah, he was like a running back out there. They let him run, you know, they, was, they was throwing the ball and he's running right away. So that's, yeah, a, that's about that's as much a, as That's mean. an interesting point. It'll, I, but I really was going to ask, you know, Lane and, and probably at practice maybe is, have they figured out what's the uh, what's the most you know times a guy can get tackled in the game before you say you know what we maybe better uh, <laughs> throw the ball some other direction? Yeah, towards the end he got he got hammered pretty good. Uh, well, let's see. Let's we got some uh, we got a bunch of questions this week, obviously. So thanks everyone for sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com, or if you want to leave us a voicemail, two zero six eight 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 six seven five five. We have a voicemail, maybe from uh, it could very well be our our eldest uh, podcast listener. So I had to play this one for you, Dan. It's good stuff. Here you go. Hi, uh, my name is Doug McLaughlin. I live in Washington State. Uh, I have to warn you, uh, I'm 90 years of age, so I don't always get my facts right. So I hope that this comes through to you clear. I'm a USC alum, as is my wife. That's where we met. But at 90, I, like I said, I don't always get everything right. I had one question. Last year, there was a running back. His name was Dixon or something like that. And he was uh, supposed to be uh, the coming uh, Reggie Bush, Bush or something. And... Uh, I haven't heard his name mentioned at all uh, on this year's squad, and I just wonder what happened to him. Uh, thanks very much, and I'll wait to hear your answer. How about hey, uh, well, uh, for Doug uh, in, in Washington State, Doug must have, might have gone to one of those Washington State games and on the way home maybe you know got got lost on the way back to Spokane or something like some, <laughs> all of us have, I think, in the uh, police times and think, gosh, uh, where the heck are we? Uh, I'm thinking uh, Doug was, he was talking about uh, 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 Dylan Baxter. I know because, you know, let's face it, a year ago, Lane was talking about Dylan Baxter out of San Diego, like Reggie Bush, a uh, whole different kind of a skill set, you know, not the, not the burst, but, you know, a guy who could, 
you know, run, pass, catch, uh, do all the things he did in high school. But Dylan Baxter was, uh, you know, was basically, uh, and more than one, one occasion, Lane said, you know, the most talented player on, the, you know, on this football team. Got more, more skills and can do more things than anybody we've got. And uh, had a, you know, difficult time last year. I think, you know, the one time where he seemed to be ready to play was the Sanford game where, um, you know, he really uh, kind of they made use of all the different things with uh, using him in the Wildcat and letting him throw the ball. And But he got injured uh, after scoring his first touchdown in college and uh, and didn't ever get it going after that and had the episode on the golf cart and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, in the opener, one uh, offensive play and I guess an extra point and um, just uh, – you know, we don't know what happened. He was listed uh, a week ago. He was listed first on the tailback depth chart, but essentially, uh, um, you know, was third uh, by the time they got to the game. Uh, only was scheduled to play, it looked like, on third down packages, Lane said, and those didn't come up, so he basically didn't get to play at all. Uh was very discouraged after the game. Uh, we know that Dylan and his parents met with Lane, uh, as Lane said, for a long meeting yesterday afternoon uh, to go over, you know, where does he stand, what's going on, does he fit in the plans. Uh, he said there was no talk of transferring, but uh, but I think, you know, Dylan Baxter is your guy, and you're right, Doug, nobody has uh, – has exactly been able to figure out in the last maybe couple of weeks what exactly happened with Dylan. Uh, where did he go? Uh, had, had a couple of pretty good preseason scrimmages. Uh, can do a lot of things. Uh, they've obviously uh, downplayed the, the Wildcat. They've, they've definitely decided to go away from that. Uh, I thought they did a good job of it. I mean, one of the reasons maybe they go away from it a little bit is the uh, – the inability to get the snap back uh, is yesterday, or you know, as we saw Saturday, uh, that 34-yard loss uh, on that one, you know, shotgun snap. I think has made him a little, um, a little nervous about adding more shotgun snaps to the uh, to the offense. I, that could be one reason, but we're going to keep an eye on him and see what happens. See, uh, see what it looks like in practice this week. Uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of locked in this year, you know, as some we speculated. I mean, we didn't, but others on the board do. You know, once you come back, once you start the season, you're kind of locked in for the year. I mean, it almost doesn't benefit you to make a move once the season started. Uh, so we're going to see how this works out. But uh, it doesn't look like it would be directly – whatever Dylan is doing or not doing – it doesn't look like it's related to what he's doing or not doing on the football field. That's yeah. not not obvious at all because he certainly, uh, you know, he, you know, it's not like they go away from him in practice. I mean, he may be going third sometimes, but you know, he goes you know as many uh, reps as the other you know two guys. And I know at the end of last week, someone asked Lane about, well, you never mentioned Dylan. Uh, you know, you only you, you only mentioned uh, say uh, uh, DJ and Curtis last week uh, at that position, and they just well, it, it wasn't by uh, I, I'm not intending to not mention him, and uh, he's getting just as many reps as the other guys. 
And then they got to the game and he didn't get just as many reps right. as the other guy. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, but it seems like off the field he's been taking care of business as well. At least that's what he's been saying. That's why it's kind right. of curious. I mean, yeah, there are times. I mean, uh, you know, you would see him at staying late at practice or staying late in the summer and doing special work, you know, individual work, stuff you haven't seen him doing. Now, he still might be, you know, riding his skateboard over onto the football field doing it. You know, he's, he's a little different. He's, yeah. uh, <laughs> he's very much, a, you know, a kind of a, a beach, uh, San Diego beach, uh, you know, a boardwalk uh, beach kid. But, uh, but he's, uh, uh, he's just, we don't know. It's, Dylan, you just think there will always be probably more questions about Dylan than there are answers. Yeah. Well, hey, Doug, kick ass, man. 90, 90 years old. Listen, just the fact that you're listening to a podcast, you're calling in, that is awesome. So thank you so much. That is your, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what is, I guess that would be about the class of what, 1941 or two, something like that. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. I had to play that one, Dad. That was great. That's like my favorite voice. That is ever. great. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's try to get. We got a bunch more questions. We'll try to get through these. Um, we want to get everyone answers. I know because a lot of people have questions. Uh, Pat wanted to know: Did Prater play Saturday? Walker or Dawson? And I think you mentioned Dan already that they only yeah, played none of them. Guys. None of them did. Uh, just twenty-one, uh, twenty-one subs. A couple of them special teams guys that uh, uh, you know, you, you, whose names you haven't probably even heard heard much. Uh, like Cody and, um, Romness played. And, uh, uh, yeah, only 17 guys got tackles. Uh, it was a little shocking because Minnesota here is a team without a, a great deal of talent or, you know, people whose names you've heard. They're in new coaching staff. Uh, they're on the road. And, you know, they played 55 guys. And, uh, you know, I think they had 22 people listed as making tackles where USC, who you know, where we had been told they were, you know, absolutely going to play a lot of players and not take chances of guys, you know, wearing down. And here you are, you know, it was an early game, so it was in the middle of the day, and they only play, uh, you know, they basically did not play two people at every position at a whole lot of positions. They played only one guy, all five offensive line positions, only one guy, obviously only one quarterback. And, uh, you know, only, uh, I think, nine subs on defense. I think 20 people played on defense. Uh, so uh, it was a little surprising. If you uh, if you'd have said, what one thing can you say about this team? I said, I think you're going to see a lot of kids get a chance to play uh, because that's how they've been practicing. And uh, it, it just looked like there were a lot of guys that, that could play. I mean, in the secondary, for example, there were some pretty good players and guys who played an awful lot, you know, uh, uh, you know, Drew, uh, McAllister and, you know, just guys that, that you know, you thought yeah, kind of, especially once they started throwing the ball, uh, that you thought, you know, there's no, you're not taking any chances with those guys in the game, but, uh, but they didn't get in the game. Um, so, yeah, so it it's was kinda, surprising. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but, you know. But, yeah, that was one surprising thing. And then Pat had a follow-up. He said, the Trojans seem to have mastered five yards on each side of the field. Will someone please remind them there are an additional 50 yards or so available in the middle? You know, uh, they had some uh, bad breaks. Uh, Xavier Grimble might still be running. He caught that one pass, uh, the tight end, that you can't throw the ball any better. I mean, it was stunning. Uh, there for a while, how accurately Matt Barkley was throwing. He completed the 16 in a row, and again, it helps to throw the short ones. 
but he had uh, he had Xavier on a seam route that hit him between the eight and the six, and uh, he you know again he'd still be running, and uh, just couldn't couldn't quite pull it in. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I can, you know I know where you're coming from. I, it'll be interesting if they show that film to the youths. The youths are gonna probably you know ask that same question: Do we have to defend the middle of the field at all? Uh, so, uh, maybe just, uh, just setting up the, uh, the first game of the, uh, his, the historic, uh, first ever Pac-12 game, making it so Utah won't get a good scouting report. We'll see. It could be. And then, uh, Evan had a question. Uh, he wanted to know about Dylan Baxter too, but also Kyle Prater. Where was, uh, Kyle Prater? I don't know. We thought he had uh, the best week of practice he's ever had at USC. I thought he, uh, I thought he made a lot of really good catches in practice and traffic, um, and uh, just you know, there's not a good answer. No, <laughs> we're not really sure. Yeah, it was. It, Marquis Lee was out there first. I mean, he was listed as a starter, so. Uh, he he definitely jumped up the the depth chart there. We'll see what happens in practice. It's going to be hard to get a George Farmer or a Kyle Prater back in the mix there. We'll see. I mean, uh, all they have to do they have to work hard and impress Lane Kiffin. Yeah, in practice. I think Marquise Lee certainly uh, certainly deserved to start. I know there were people saying, well, you know, he's the third wide receiver or whatever. He really deserved to be the starter, and you know, and I think it would have been uh, not. Not fair to Marquise for how he's practiced. Had he not started, he he absolutely won that won that spot uh, and and absolutely deserved it and uh, and he got it. I wanted to and see. That was I, good. I got to look, Dan, at what percentage of Barkley's passes went to Sarah graduates <laughs> because, oh, because more than half went to uh, Woods, right, or about half or something, and then um, I leave. Yeah, pop. I guess that would have been uh, like twenty. 22, if you count that one, uh, Lane was still arguing with uh, Tim, saying, uh, you know, if they'd have, they should have given him the one for 18, and then uh, you got uh, Lee caught another four, I guess. So uh, you got 22 out of the out of the 45, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Yep. So interesting. Um, so we have Stephen Poway. He says he loves the podcast. Thanks in advance. He was talking about freshman offensive linemen Cody Temple and Cyrus Hobby. Um, you know, they had some injuries and stuff. Uh, are they? Is it bad enough that they should redshirt, or could they still come back and play? Have you seen them in practice, and how do they look? Well, Temple was really limited because of a back injury uh, a good bit, and hasn't maybe gotten the, the you know the chance that Hobby has in in, uh, in spring or excuse me in fall. Um, I would like both of them to get a year of uh, of weightlifting, a year of you know growing, uh, uh, whatever. I, I think offensive line is by far the hardest position to play. Uh, you take quarterback out, and then when you see what uh, Cody Kessler has done, it, it looks like offensive line may be the hardest position to learn and be able to play and grow into physically. And uh, uh, I don't, I don't think you know. Uh, Marcus Martin and Andre Walker are big enough, certainly, to play. Uh, but uh, but I think some of the other guys with uh, with potential could use that year of uh, you know growing and getting stronger and just getting acclimated to the 
the physicality and all of the things you have to know uh, to play at this level. So, uh, you know, I think they're doing a pretty good job in uh, in practice, and uh, uh, they certainly have a lot more guys to practice with, and they, you know, might be the next guys you would put in there uh, over some of the, you know, some of the upperclassmen possibly, but they still don't look like they're quite ready to play at that level major college football. They're just a look, uh, a physical nest that you see of guys who are ready to play uh, big-time college football on the offensive line and the guys that are still, you know, coming out of high school. And uh, when you do see somebody who can cross that uh, that line, you know, you really notice them that, you know, that that's an unusual thing because they just – in high school, if you're good enough to be one of those guys, you are so much bigger, stronger, better than the guys you're playing against that to then end up in a place where you're playing against all guys who maybe are bigger and stronger than you are and older and, you know, more experienced, that's a gigantic leap of, uh, of you know, a, a gigantic challenge to, to play on the offensive line. So I think they'd, they'd benefit from a red shirt. Yeah, and even if they were up there, like Andre Walker was very impressive, ran with the ones quite a bit. Neither one of those guys have, but Andre Walker didn't even get in, and he was a guy that was, you know, first-team guard for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and so with Mark, Marcus Martin, you got two guys that are yeah. challenging for first-team within, you know, a few weeks. Now, one of the things that happens is you keep adding stuff. They keep adding and adding, and uh, eventually – Say physically, you know, you're an Andre Walker, and, and you know, as, as as quick as the game is, you really are a big, strong guy who uh, maybe could make up for some of some of that part of it. Uh, but they keep adding and adding, and, and and the offense gets pretty complex at, at a particular point, and um, it's just almost like asking too much to, uh, you know, to push a kid to to get him, you know, physically ready to go. Uh, then to you know add the the level of complexity and I think you know they are probably compensating for um, some of the pass uh, pass blocking schemes in, in in order to you know they really want to protect Barkley they really don't want him going down uh, I think probably overly so maybe it looked like maybe overly uh, you know keeping uh, extra protection in yesterday you know. I mean, I, I know you're not supposed to look at last year's stats or last year's t- tendencies or whatever, but Minnesota was dead last. The entire nation, 120 uh, football bowl, you know, teams in pass rush, in pass, in sacks, nine sacks. And you're not getting brand-new players. Basically, they may have had a new coaching staff, but they had the same guys. And I know they talked about they were going to do things, uh, uh, blitzes and what have you, to get to the quarterback. I, you know, my thinking was they didn't have the personnel to get to the quarterback. I thought USC went out there though and was 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 ultra conservative in terms of how they protected Barkley, and and what they asked him to do uh, to make sure they didn't you know didn't give anybody a, an open running shot at him, which I think also dictated some of the offense that they were going to throw the ball quick. You couldn't have hit him with a you know you'd have to throw something at him. <laughs> uh, he was getting rid of the ball so quickly. Uh, and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, if it were me, I'd like him in the shotgun all the time so he could really get rid of it quickly. Uh, but, 
And I thought USC was awfully conservative and uh, awfully, uh, and he didn't give up a sack. Uh, awfully conservative, though, in protecting Barkley and, and what they asked him to do. I'll be interested to see going forward uh, how that uh, how that develops because it's a it's a contrast. You can throw the ball a lot, but then you're also going to be really really nervous about him getting hit or uh, getting a big pass rush on him. Um, it's uh, what you end up seeing are a whole lot of bubble screens and a yep. whole lot of you know. 30 yard, you know, across the field passes to gain four yards. Um, (laughs) It's something to observe, something we hadn't probably gotten ready for, and uh, and we'll see how this plays out. All right. Uh, Bob had a question. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but another Dylan Baxter thing. Uh, Give me one good reason why Dylan Baxter isn't the holder on extra points. I know we've talked about the littlest before in the past, Dan, but he was a QB in high school, great hands. (laughs) And he would uh, do havoc in Baxter's crazy extra point system with his running ability. It's crazy to have Barkley or Negretti back there. Come on, guys, get creative. Fight on from Bob. Hey, Bob, you're not you're talking to the choir. I think uh, I think I was probably the first one to a write that and b tell Dylan Baxter uh, or ask him. I guess I, I asked Dylan in, in spring. I guess end of, end of the winter said, have you talked to the coaches about? You know, maybe being the holder if they go with the option again because you, you've got that run pass option ability. And he said, "Wow, I didn't think about that. That's a really good idea. I'm going to ask the coaches." So, from all we've been told is that they think they asked Dylan to do too many things last year. That they were so excited about Dylan that they had him running the backscat. And, uh, you know, just doing a lot of different things in, in the offense uh, because they, they, you know, I mean, and even this year, they want to throw the ball to him. They think he's the guy of all the, you know, the running backs. He's the one that they really, you know, they could line him up in the slot. They can throw, you know, throw to him as a wide receiver. Um, he had a couple of touchdowns last year catching the ball. Uh, but when I asked them directly what they thought of that, um, Lane said, we're really trying not to keep adding stuff for Dylan because we think we added too many things for a freshman last year. We had too many things on his plate. That was the answer. So I don't know. I, he's a natural. I mean, I think he would be so hard to defend. He's one of those kids with the ball in his hand in the red zone. He just seems to make the right decisions. And he is an impossibility pretty much for a defender to know what to do with because he he just so easily throws the football while he's running. Uh, and, uh, and he has no difficulty in that, you know, when do I, you know, really, when do I deliver it? Uh, it's just something he's done so much in high school that, uh, yeah, if you're actually going to run a real true, we may kick it this time, but we sure as heck we may run it as well and go for two. If you're going to do that in a way that you're really committed to doing that, it would seem that Dylan Baxter is much better suited to do that. I mean, if you'll notice uh, on the one extra point, as Lane said, you know, Matt threw the ball 45 times yesterday or Saturday. He had one bad pass, uh, and the one bad pass was on the two-point extra point where he threw it in the ground about, I don't know, how many feet short of, uh, you know, of his intended target. It's just 
not what Matt does well coming out of the stance, coming out of that one knee on the ground or whatever and having to be nimble-footed and get himself in a good position to throw the ball and all that. It's just That's just not Matt's skill set. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I can't uh, you know, disagree that Dylan would be like almost perfect for that role. Uh, all right, then we got one last one uh, for from Perry in Connecticut. Um, he mentioned some of the stuff you were talking about, the team, the, the offense being conservative. He felt that as soon as the, the offense made a mistake, it got ultra-conservative. He didn't feel that the team was capitalizing on their talent. Um, but he wanted to know specifically, why is this team not able to strike quickly? Because they seem to have the talent to do that. Uh, they did it once in the second quarter with that long bomb to Robert Woods, but Pete's teams could score quickly and didn't matter what the starting field position was. What do you think about the quick strike potential of this offense? I think a lot of Pete's uh, uh, quick strike, I mean, obviously if you've got Reggie Bush in the mix for a few years, you've got that ability. Uh, but I think the other thing is they really, really, uh, especially, you know, uh, we, we we got used to having uh, guys who really, you and, and even from the very first game, I always thought that Pete's teams became Pete's teams when Justin Fargus got healthy. And he gave them a, a, a running back, you know, after, you know, first five games, at, you know, 2002, where you had to come up to the line of scrimmage because he would just, you know, explode off tackle. And you absolutely had to respect him, respect the run. And what that did was it made the play-action game so much more effective. And then with, uh, if you ever watch those uh, three or four minutes of highlights from the Orange Bowl against Oklahoma, they had all those All-American backs and all those NFL guys in their secondary, and they kept coming up on every play. You would see them, you know, taking a couple of big steps because they were either busting, you know, uh, Lindale White or Reggie up into that line of scrimmage. And no matter how well Matt Liner threw the ball or how many threats, you know, they had with Steve Smith and, and the tight ends and all of that, the Oklahoma secondary had to come up. And you could just see they're taking two big steps up and somebody's running past them uh, on play action. And uh, I think you have to – make them respect your play action uh, and make them really respect the run game. And USC hasn't had the ability exactly to do that. I mean, uh, they haven't had any one player. I mean, you know, they had some, you know, last year they had uh, with Mark and, uh, and, and Alan Bradford, some big time, uh, you know, offensive games from running backs, but it just hasn't been a situation where teams are just almost forced to, uh, have the secondary come up and help out against the run. And that's where you get beat deep and you get beat long. And, it, you, you know, you, you don't even have to throw the ball that deep. They're already committed to coming up and stopping the run on play action. And you uh, and you get behind them. Or uh, as somebody would say, I guess it was uh, Bill Doba, a real sweet guy who was the coach at Washington State, used to say about Reggie uh, that if you uh, somehow get, get you know, formation the wrong way and you've got a linebacker covering Reggie he said uh you know you can you can before that plays over he said if you've got a linebacker running out there with Reggie uh get ready for the band and uh and trailer to start you know running them down the field because uh, before that plays over you're you're dead uh they don't have that that kind of threat and I'd you'd like to see them uh you know, get to the point where 
they can really make use of the play-action pass. I think one of the things they didn't do much the other day was the play-action uh, because, again, it takes longer to protect. Uh, you got to do a better, a really good job of uh, with your offensive line because Matt's uh, a little more exposed. But, uh, uh, you know, that was the best thing I thought they did with, uh, with Norm and the way the offense worked out under Norman Pete and then uh, – and then carried on with, uh, you know, Lane and Sark and all that. I just thought the best stuff they always did was the, the play action, quick strike stuff where, where you had to come up and stop the run, and, and that gave, a, gave you a chance to get a wide receiver or a tight end running deep. And uh, I think you miss it, and probably we all miss it. Yeah, well, uh, That was fun stuff. It certainly was, Dan. Well, we'll see. We'll see what this offense looks like next week against Utah and uh I want to thank you, Dan, for coming in and answering all the questions. A lot of a lot of stuff this week, obviously, but I think we got to it all. Pretty cool. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, we got a lot. As, as I think that was my my column the other day. Lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. Yes, there are even a few answers. <laughs> yeah, we have mostly after the opener. You end up with questions. Yeah, we have a lot more questions. But thank you, Dan. I want to thank uh, Coach Harvey Hyde for joining us in the first segment, and everyone out there for listening. Hope you have a wonderful Labor Day. And uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week after the Utah game. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.